Welcome to another edition of Old Nerd, Young Nerd. I'm Derek. I'm Todd. And we are back doing our Picard series. Uh, we are on episode seven of the show now, which is entitled uh, Nepenthe? Nepenthe? I, I would think Nepenthe. Nepenthe? Um, That's, only yeah, the re- only because that. I think I've heard it in the show. But... And it sounds it sounds more Greek that way anyway. Yeah. And, and, Nep- and it sounds Greek because... and. Yeah. It's it is Greek. It's a it's a term used for a drug or an elixir to forget grief and sadness. Um, I wouldn't call it a placebo, I guess, because placebos don't do anything. No, um, it was actually from the Odyssey. Yes, uh, where Homer refers to it as a drug uh, that's used uh, for forget forgetfulness to kill sorrow uh, in the Pente. But it's really it's really interesting because Star Trek has always uh, harkened back to um, not just uh, the older stories uh, from the Iliad and the Odyssey, but also music. They they've they've constantly done that uh, with with respect to you know Mozart and everything else. Well, you know why, right? You don't have to no, pay for Derek. Co- why? Why did they do that, Derek? Well, not only are they classics, but they didn't have to pay for copyrights because it's true too. No, 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 and that's <laughs> and that's and that's a really good point because they didn't have to pay for copyrights, so they they could actually refer back to um, the old uh, stories and everything else. And, I, yep. and if I'm not mistaken, back in my college days, they not just my my college professors but they all basically said that all stories are basically derivations of shakespeare or homer in this case uh nepenthe we're talking about homer and the odyssey uh-huh. but I, you know and and if you really look at it you can really break down every story that you've ever read into those two in, into either Homer stories or Shakespeare stories. Um, but, you know, I'm digressing. So I just really wanted to bring that up, you know, with Nepenthe, and I'm glad Derek brought it up, you know, because it leads into this story. I'm going to let you take it away, Derek. Yep. Um, <laughs> it is a, It is kind of a foreshadowing title for this episode. It's very appropriate. And... So this episode starts off with a flashback to earlier in the series where they're on Earth. Uh, Dr. Girardi's at the Daystrom Institute and Commodore O, who's the head of Starfleet security, shows up. And at this point, we know that she's um, a Zatvash plant that's disguising Mm -hmm. herself as a Vulcan, but she's really a Romulan. Right. Uh, She approaches Dr. Girardi, kind of wants to know what Picard was meeting her about. Uh, she kind of interrogates her a bit and then, you know, uh, says that Picard is planning to travel off world to find Dr. Maddox and she wants her to join him. And in a way to kind of force slash convince her to do it, she does a mind meld with her, uh, pouring in apocalyptic imagery of um, synthetic life causing the end of the world, the thing that Zatvash fears the most. Mm. Uh, at which point she takes an edible tracking device and the Commodore O tells her that a terrible sacrifice must be made. And then, of course, we know 
she ends up killing Bruce Maddox, making it look like an accident. And then the series flashes right. flashes to the present, where uh, the Las Serenas in the uh, caught in the tractor beam of the artifact. Because in the last episode, they arrived at the artifact. Picard beamed on board to try to rescue um, Dosh. <clears throat> and Correct. That the last episode ended with him and Dodge um, beaming off to a planet uh, that he knows. He didn't explain why. We'll find that out very quickly. So on the artifact, um, there's a group of XBs with Romulan guards as Nerissa, the uh, the head of the Zatvash is holding Hugh, the uh, the head former Borg of the project, um, at gunpoint. And she asks him where Picard and Soji went. And he, um, he refuses to say. Uh, he, he will only say that they've left. He won't tell them anything specific. So she orders the guards to kill the XBs. Uh, with with which uh, Hugh watches in horror and you know mourns the loss, and then she kind of berates them as being vile and evil. Um, um, but you know Hugh still won't give them up, and she executes Hugh. Which. I I know Todd. Like, how did you feel when Hugh died? I was really upset with that um, because I liked Hugh back from the uh, TNG days, Next Generation, where and 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 Hugh had a major part in the split uh, from the Borg uh, because of his interaction with. Picard and Riker and everything else uh, when they were disconnected from the uh, Borg Collective because of the fact that they crashed and everything else. And it was it was like a really sad time. I was like really shocked when I saw that because um, you know, Elnor who was part of the Quat Milan actually tried to save him from Narissa, from Zat Bosch. And they're two literally opposing forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Quat Malat and the Zat Bosch, which is a subsection of the Tal Shiar, which is a, which is basically the Romulan seeker police. But I, like, that was probably one of, like, the biggest like shocks for me in the whole series when when he was lost because i'm like he was you know in large part due to there there was a couple of um cliffhangers i think it was like from season six to season seven best of earth worlds where because he went back to the collective and he showed his individuality there was a, this huge uh, schism 
between uh, those Borg that wanted their individuality versus those Borg that wanted to be part of the collective. So, I, you know, and then there was like the whole thing with lore and everything else. And I'm not going to get into that. We you because, touched on that briefly already in a, yeah. a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but like the fact that Hugh died was like a huge, huge like shock to me. Well, and then I have to apologize because I jumped the gun there. He didn't die at that point. He dies later. I actually yeah, I think mean, it's the he, next he, episode. He dies in the episode. Like I wasn't really going to go it, into. Was it in episode seven, or it might even be in episode eight where he dies? No, no, but... no. He, he, no. Like at the end of episode seven, he definitely okay. is killed by uh, Nerissa. Okay. And all right, yeah, um, I just jumped the gun. Elnor when it happened. is kind of like in shock. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He definitely dies in episode seven. Um, but it, it was a, it was a huge shocker. I I really wasn't expecting it um but again it was you know it was like a whole thing where he's mobilizing the xbs which are x borg and they were working against the zatvash so logically it was only um the most expedient method of taking care of the XBs by getting rid of Hugh because he was directing them to cutting the head off the of snake, the... so to speak. Right. Which didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, so I did technically, I did jump the gun in, in episode. He's still alive, but um, we've given some, yeah, I mean, spoilers, he's alive for the so... most part of it where, where they're like fighting their way through yeah. Elmore and Hugh. But yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's essentially the story for the rest of this episode, just told a little out of order. Hugh starts to mobilize mm-hmm. the XBs to fight back against the Zotvash, and they assassinate him basically to stop him. Right. So, a little blunt and a little out of order, but that's how that storyline goes. Um, back to, uh, Picard and Soji come out of the spatial trajector on Nepenthe. Where they find themselves being held at bow and arrow point by a young girl. Kestra. Yes, Kestra. Uh, Picard mm-hmm. Picard, Picard um, asks her if they're safe. And she lowers her bow. And he asks if her parents are about. So at this point, I don't think um, anybody really knows who uh, Kestra is. I don't think anybody knows who... Um, these parents are that they're referring to, but you can you obviously know there's somebody from Picard's past. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, um, every, everyone's hopeful for cameos for old beloved characters. And if that's what you were hoping for with this uh, little tease and boy, oh boy, were you happy? Uh, yeah, because I mean, this is like, this is probably one of my favorite episodes, but uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to let yeah, I'm going to shut up now so you can like uh, set it up and then yep. I'll uh, I'll, so, I'll I'll probably I'll pretty much take over like, like the next 20 minutes, but go uh-huh. ahead. So Kestra leads um, uh, Soji and Picard through the woods to a log cabin. Um, and on the way. She talks um in a language and she's wearing this outfit that she says it's a game she played with her brother Thaddeus 
except mm-hmm. that the arrow she has was real, but she wouldn't shoot anyone with them because she's a pacifist. Right. Um, so they come up to a well-kept, like really nice-looking two-story log cabin. Uh, Picard says it's the home of old friends, and then out steps Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy. And as um, anyone anyone who's been Star Trek fans knows, her husband is Will Riker. So he would be around there somewhere. You can safely assume you're going to see him pretty shortly. Right. So uh, do you want to start your aside right now? I I kind of do. All right. Or do you so, want me to do um, my brief like rundown first before you uh, jump yeah, in? Yeah. No, for sure. Because like, I, I just I have a brief rundown of um, <clears throat> um, an extremely brief rundown of like the the in canon history of uh, of Troy and Riker's relationship, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're introduced in season one, and uh, they're revealed immediately to be former lovers. And you and I were talking about this in pre-pro. Like I called them, they're basically the biggest will they won't they couple of in Star Trek. I don't think there's really anyone else that even holds a candle to them, except for maybe um, uh, Picard and Doctor Crusher kind of had that same vibe. Yeah, that's that's a whole different like subject, and and we could talk. Like I honestly think we we could bring on a bunch of episodes where. That's kind of in question. That's mm-hmm. a, like that's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's I, that's, a, that's that a whole now. that's yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, they kind of established themselves as like having a nice working relationship, and then in season three, in an episode called Menage Troy, um, they go to Beta Z, and it, that delves more into their history. It even shows them like in show as younger selves. Like basically, they broke up so that. Uh, Riker could advance his Starfleet career because he couldn't do it while staying on Beta Z with her because he was stationed there uh, as a young Alliance officer. And then it's kind of like that. Um, then you jump ahead three more seasons to an excellent, excellent episode called Second Chances mm-hmm. uh, where they come up to this uh, space station and they find a second Will Riker. Because the name of well, he eventually takes the name Thomas Riker. Yep. Okay. Good. Uh, because right. I'm going to okay. No, nope, I got yep. you. All right. All right. Uh, due to a, a transporter accident eight years ago, uh, essentially Will Riker got cloned, and one Will Riker was saved from the station, and the other was stranded there for eight years. Right. And the Will Riker that was stranded there for eight years is still madly in love with Deanna Troy. Which makes sense. Uh, Because they were together at the time. Right. Or or they had, yes, they were together at the time because he asked why they would ever broken up in the first place. Right. Then he takes the name Thomas and then you basically see him again as an antagonist of sorts in Deep Space Nine. Where he joins the Marquis terrorist organization to try and um, fight the Cardassians. Marquis. Maki. That's it. Yeah. I always say Marquis. Yeah. A little bit different. Yep. Slightly. A little different, but um eventually though, Troy and uh and Riker 
like reestablish a romantic relationship and get married in the beginning of the the final next generation movie star trek nemesis yes so that's my brief rundown i know you have um a lot more in-depth things to get into so i will turn it over to you I really do. And and this is a huge segue, but, you know, I think this is really important because, uh, you know, the Amzadi uh, storyline, because, uh, you know, as everyone knows, or if you're if you listen to us a lot, everyone knows I go to comic cons all the time. Obviously not, you know, due to the the whole pandemic, but for for the most part, I go to like five or six a year. And it's so like amazing to me because you always see couples like it's it's always a big loving. You know what I mean? Like there's never any antagonism or anything else. I like this episode or I like that episode or your Star Wars. I'm Star Trek. It's a huge loving, like it, it, like it just always amazes me that I am part of this um, group of people that are just, you know, so willing to accept what whatever you like, as long as it's sci-fi or horror, or whatever the case may be. But anyway, um, Imzadi, you hear it so much, like when you're looking at couples in the Comic Cons and everything else. But what does Imzadi mean? In the original encounter of Farpoint, it, the, the inference was uh, when Deanna first saw uh, Riker, she telepathically said, you know, Imzadi, uh, which initially meant, and they initially translated it as, and I think it's still valid for beloved. All right. And as Derek had mentioned, there's been several episodes where Mzadi was brought about. And the uh, one of my favorite writers for sci-fi, Peter David, and he's written for Babylon 5, he's written for Star Trek, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Great writer, great writer. Um, he wrote two, uh, two novels, Mzadi... And a triangle in Zadi 2, uh, where we learn in the book, and again, we're, we're going away from basically canon, which is what Derek really uh, brought about uh, in his description of where we're going. Imzadi meant, as per the book, first, which basically is first love and everything like that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it it was a big uh differentiation. Uh and they and the the first Imzadi really went into uh Troy and Riker's first meeting when he was a junior officer uh from the Stargazer, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, the name of the, the, the ship, but I think he, he was on the Stargazer or the Pegasus. I think it was Pegasus now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, he met her and they fell in love, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, first love and everything like that. And then if you recall, uh, for Triangle, uh, for the Imzadi 2, which was titled Triangle. And this is what I found way more interesting. 
was that if you recall on uh, Star Trek TNG Next Generation, um, Deanna and Worf were dating. Do you remember that, Derek? Vaguely. All right. Well, they did. Um, And it was like the last year or two. So the book, Imzadi uh, 2 Triangle, was basically, obviously, Worf, Deanna, and Riker. Obviously before uh, when they got married. But they talked about, you know, how close they were and everything else. And, and you know what I really liked about um, how Riker handled it? not in a in a tv show was like yeah we know that we're we're first loves and that's really basically what it kind of meant but he was okay sort of with her dating now obviously if you're it's it's the whole issue of if you love something set it free blah blah blah. if it comes back it's yours forever The, the whole thing but um what basically happened at the end of the book, and again, this is not canon, as Derek had uh, talked about, but at the end of the canon, uh, what Worf basically uh, talks about is his relationship with Jadzia Dax and that she was his Imzadi. So they basically knew that they weren't each other's first. They had a, they had a good relationship. But Worf recognized, even though it wasn't um, a, a Klingon or, um, oh God, what is Jet Z? Um, what's her what's her species? Oh, uh, um, oh, a trill. Jesus, trill, trill. So even though it wasn't a trill or Klingon thing, he still recognized her as his Amzadi. So it was like it was a really like heartfelt kind of uh, book, and it was it was really it it, it was basically a love story for Riker, uh, Jadzia, Worf, and Deanna I, across two books. It, it was amazing, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're going to say something. I'm going to stop. What were you going to say? Um, I looked it up, and Will Riker's first ship was indeed the Pegasus. You were right the second time. You corrected yourself. Just yes. Want to let you know that. Thank you. And then, thank you. I think in canon, um, since you said you mentioned that this is out of canon, right? As all um, novels are essentially like, we could get into it. We can get into a whole thing of like levels of canon. Oh my god! Like, we could have and, a and 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 I've read so many. Star Trek novels. Uh, yeah, and from I was all, the, from all I was, series. I was the same with Star Wars. I probably mm-hmm. have like fifty of them up in my bedroom. Right. Uh, no, no, no. I know it's it, it's it's really interesting. You know, we where we could talk about the, the whole. Yeah, thing. we'll probably do an episode in the future of like what is canon and all that. We'll get into that at some point. Oh but, yeah, I mean between so, Star Trek and Star Wars, absolutely. With uh, because yeah. Within the For canon, sure. they ex- kind of did, I believe, expand um, Anzadi to mean like not just like a physical lover, but also like a really good friend. It didn't have to mean like it could also have like a platonic meaning, I believe. Or am I talking about the book? 
No, no, no. You're you're correct. I mean, like they they really expand upon it, and yeah, uh, it's it's like many words in any language where it can have many different connotations, and Imzadi really did. But it was it was interesting back in '87 when they actually talked about, uh, you know, when you heard her say Imzadi, and you're like, what is this about? Because obviously, you know. What is that, 20, 30, 35 years ago? Is that 35 years ago? Am I am I doing my math right? 87 to now? Uh, but anyway, 34, 34, 35. But, you know, you're like, what, she, what are they talking about? And it's always interesting with sci-fi. And I was, I've actually watched, a, like last night, it's, it's always interesting to watch with sci-fi when you do not know what the meaning of a word is mm-hmm. and you slowly come to it with their revelations in the storyline so it's always really interesting uh with that but i wanted to bring this up because obviously they do get married um in a beta z ceremony where everyone's naked which is kind of funny because if you remember, Worf did not want to be naked during the ceremony, uh, but but he eventually relented, and <laughs> um, it was you know it was like just a a, a a huge kind of like sigh of relief for all the fans from not just from those reading the books, but those watching the series as well as the movies when they did finally marry. So it was a, you know, we come to full circle in this episode seven uh, with Nepenthe with this. But uh, we also haven't talked really about in detail in terms of why it's called Nepenthe. What do they need to forget? Uh, We are coming on that very shortly. Mm -hmm. And well, we might as well just talk about it. Right. Yeah, we might as well just talk about it. So, okay. uh, um, Kestra mentioned that she played a game with her brother Thaddeus, right. um, and she says played like uh, past tense. Past and tense, you you right. come to find out uh, through the duration of Soji and Picard's stay that mm-hmm. um, uh, Riker and Troy had two children, uh, Thaddeus and then Kestra, and Thaddeus uh, tragically died, and. He died of an extremely rare sickness that could only be cured. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's basically something that only can be provided by like synthetic life. And because because the the Federation did away with synthetic life, they they had they didn't have the means to cure this extremely rare condition. Right. The only way to um, provide the cure and. Uh, the antidote for the disease which with which he had was to cultivate it in a positronic matrix, which uh, unfortunately only happens in, in synthetic life because they ended synthetic life. Uh, unfortunately, the child died. And, you know, I... I don't know about you, but that kind of upset me like really greatly that like the writers went in that direction. Cause a, it seems a little bit on the nose, like, Oh, the kid died because they banned synthetic life. Like, 
I can't really think of any disease that would not be able to be cured anyway. It just seemed like they did um, Riker and Deanna Troy really dirty. Like they didn't, they didn't really have to have that happen to them. I can like I can see your point on that, but I can also see the point of obviously there's going to be there's going to be galactic diseases that we don't know about. Yeah, uh, as we expand into space and certain ways of developing a cure mm-hmm. have to take place. It's not like I'm okay with it, but I was okay with the fact that hey, uh, these folks are not going to be happy with the fact that um, the government or what have you uh, just allows these, like, that's what kind of, like, really upset me, but I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Okay, so you're not for synthetic life, but you can't allow a positronic matrix brain to cultivate... um, the cure for this like that was kind of weird to me so i the the disease was they made up was called mendaxic neurosclerosis and they said it's a it's a condition caused by a silicon based virus which would theoretically be easily cured by culturing infected cells in an active positronic matrix right so that's that's why they couldn't make the disease because they had to to um uh, culture the cells inside of an android's brain essentially right and i don't know about you um but we're up to episode seven i kind of felt like the romulans kind of instigated what happened i don't and, and up to now there was never anything that actually said that mm-hmm. but like i always had a feeling that that was Romulan instigated that whole thing with the um, the shipyards. Well, that was um, that was always the um, the quote unquote conspiracy theory, right? By uh, Picard's um, uh, Picard's friend, whose name I can't remember right now. Yeah, the, the oh drink. Raffi, Raffi, Raffi. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always kind of something you could believe was the case. Because, I mean, Star Trek fans for, since the show's inception have been led to believe that Romulans are the bad guys anyway. Right. Or one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of were led to believe that about Klingons and then the next generation kind of redefined that. So right. we're, we're yeah. essentially out of time for this episode. We'll, okay. we'll continue with the rest of... Um, uh, the breakdown of episode seven of Picard on the next episode, our next episode. All right. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at old nerd, young nerd. And we're pretty much everywhere you listen to a podcast. So thank you for listening and please keep doing so. As always, I'm Derek. I'm Todd. And remember normal is the new boring. New boring. All right.